The thing that worked really well for me and that I employ to this day is sometimes I just say the same thing again. Like, you know, I'm doing what works for me. And and then if it comes up again, like, you know, I'm doing what works for me. And just holding on to that as my own little mantra, as a way of kind of gently closing the discussion. You know, there's been a couple times, and I've said this on episodes before, where I've just said, you know, that's not up for discussion today. And I do think as parents, we have the right to protect and hone our family of origin. And at the end of the day, that's numero uno, right? You are creating your own situation. You're creating the life that you want to be living. You're raising the adults in the way that you want to raise them. It's okay to hold fast to that. Welcome to Raising Adults, the groundbreaking parenting podcast that starts with the end in mind. We're your co-hosts, Dina Thayer and Kira Dorian. We created future-focused parenting to take families from surviving to thriving. So join us as we help you stop raising kids and start raising adults. Hello, future-focused parents. It's Kira and Dina back with you again today for an episode of Raising Adults podcast that is all about in-laws. And it might at first blush seem like, well, what does in-laws have to do with parenting? But let me tell you, it definitely does. It has everything to do do with parenting. parenting. (laughs) Not not only is your partner, if you have one, uh, really wrapped up in their family of origin it will influence how they parent, but also their parents might have a thing or two to say and maybe an opinion and maybe an occasionally an opinion that does not agree with how you're choosing to do things. And so navigating that is actually a very important part of parenthood. And we felt like we should have a brief chat about this today. Yes, indeed. And I think I know families where what you would expect to be normal tension between parent and in-laws is actually what they have with their own parents. And the in-laws are the ones that they feel more connected to. So I think that whilst this tends to be an in-law thing because of that family of origin piece, sometimes it's not. But generally speaking, pretty much everybody has family members where there's a little bit of like navigating those relationships once a child comes along and how do we how do we stick to our parenting guns but do it in a way that feels good to the whole family and how do we navigate when they come to visit and all those fun things. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I want to say to you listeners that if you don't have in-laws, this is still an episode for you because we often do have, as Kira just mentioned, maybe other extended family or our own parents where the relationship might be fraught with some tension and that can leak into, well, then how do you handle it if maybe they disagree with a parenting choice you're making or something like that? So hang in there because whether you have in-laws or not, I think the relational principles of how to interact with family, if there are tense pieces around parenting, will still be applicable. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think everybody has this in one way or another, even if it's not with their family, a friend or I mean, we did a little spin cycle kind of near this. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that I think it's a really common topic and people are a lot of people struggle with how do I how do I walk this well and how do I feel good as I navigate those tensions? Those, you know, I think you said it really well, the idea of it being tension because they are in tension. Right. They are. They're people that presumably you care about. And even if you happen to have one of those relationships where you don't get along great, they're going to be in your life anyway. So Mm -hmm. 
learning to navigate that is pretty critical, I would say. So do you have a why, Kira, for how you deal with in-law relationships or relationships? Is survival survival a fair why? This is like the third episode where you're like, is survival a why? You just I, that's so funny that you that you said that because <laughs> I don't know if we've shared but we've been transcribing episodes so for those of you who'd rather read than listen that's going to be available soon and we also wanted to make sure there's access for deaf and hard of hearing to get this parenting advice and so and and these thoughts that we share and I was transcribing an episode recently where you said the same thing so that's so funny I'm a is survival record. a why Sometimes I mean, it is. I think so. Clearly in my life it is. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, it, yeah, exactly. I think it goes, though, beyond that. I mean, it's more than survival. It, what I mean by survival is like, yes, you want to survive the experience of being together, intention, disagreeing, right? That that whole experience sucks. But I think what I mean by survival even more is I want the relationship to survive well. You know, I love my in-laws fiercely. They're important to me. They're important to my kids. They're important to my husband. Like I genuinely like them. So I don't want the relationship to break down. I don't want things to get ruined because of something that's said in passion or exhaustion or, you know, whatever my emotional Mm -hmm. state may be. And I also want my own parenting style to survive. And sometimes that's really tricky. And, you know, I, I often say that parenting is like requires the the speed of thought of an international spy. Like you have to be so fast on your feet. You have to like make these decisions in a hot second and hope that it was the right decision based on those strong values that we talk about all the time. Like when you have a strong why, you're a lot more adept at making that fast on the fly decision because you're grounded in those whys. But that's a really intense experience, right? And we do it in parenting all the time. And I think never more so than when we're navigating a tense situation with people who maybe disagree. And so wanting that decision-making to be the best that it can be so that the relationship survives well and and that we all still get along and like each other and want to be around each other. And I don't think that's a small feat, (laughs) especially when you're exhausted. (laughs) You know, it's like... I don't know. It's a toughie. But yeah, I guess that's my why. Survival. I I'm like gonna it. claim it forever. From now on. Yeah, claim it because anymore. just and Kira's why we know is survival. It is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the survival of the relationship, you've you've tweaked it in a way that really makes sense there for this go. topic. Thank so you. well Thank done. You. How about you? Well, my why is primarily a modeling why. And that is modeling how to navigate extended family, how to navigate sometimes interactions, maybe with people who I don't see eye to eye with. How can I go first? You've heard me use this this phrase before, kind of go first and lead the way at admitting when I'm wrong or those kinds of things. So I think there's a modeling piece there, but I also have a why that's going to sound funny, but bear with me. And my why is I want to learn how to do this well myself for when I'm an in-law because I think there is something so powerful here about learning how to love someone that somebody I love mm-hmm. loves, even if they're not my favorite. So, and I, I I say that even though I don't have this issue as far as having a tense in-law relationship, I don't have it. But I do think we sometimes are not naturally inclined to love a particular person. But when we go, wow, someone I love loves them. So like in my case, my husband loves his mom. That That's a game changer for me. And I want to be able to someday say, well, my son loves mm-hmm. her 
you know, about about his wife if he chooses to get married or whatever. I want to be able mm-hmm. to say that. So how do I care enough to love the people I love love? Well, wow, that's so a lot of love. It's better than <laughs> but it's I better than mine I mean. that was like, like survive, 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 survive eighty five, survive. <laughs> At least yours was like love any love, love, love. <laughs> it's a lot Good luck of translating love. that, by the way, or transcribing that. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. That's a that's a lot of commas. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's so true. And I think this is such a complicated topic because of the family of origin piece. We just grossly underestimate the impact our family of origin has on everything. And it is especially seen and noticeable when we bring when we create a new family of origin. Because that's what we're doing, right? We have a baby, and if we are in what a partnership or not, you're creating a family. And that's going to be that baby's family of origin. And so everyone wants to set up their family of origin differently or does so by accident or whatever. And when you're setting up a brand new family of origin and you've got two other families of origin coming into the fold, that's just like a recipe for a mess. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I think there's that piece here is so important and somehow figuring out how do we allow space for the different families of origin to be and to acknowledge that they're there without it necessarily having to influence the new family of origin. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah, but that's impossible. Hard. It's impossible. So good luck, FFPs. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. No, I mean, it it is. It's really impossible. I mean, you know, mental health professionals spend years unpacking family of origin with people. But you take, I mean, my family is a great example. Like you look at Dave's family of origin and my family of origin. There are similarities in that they were loving homes. There are similarities in that they wanted what was best for their kids and made really smart parenting choices. That's where it ends. Like, it could not have been more different the way that Dave and I were brought up. And so then you get the two of us trying to create our family of origin. And, you know, that's the noise. That's wow. the noise that it makes. <laughs> so, so, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's it's just such a huge and complicated thing to expect mere humans to be able to navigate well. Hmm. Well said. <laughs> I keep wanting to like, okay, know, the end. But this is this is not a spin cycle. We have more. Okay. So I'm going to talk briefly about my hows and whats, and then I want you to share because you had the unique opportunity to get to talk to your in-laws in advance of the episode, and I know you have thoughts you want to share yourself, but I also hope we get to hear what what they had to say because you said they had some great insights as well. So I'll be fast. I only have three whats and hows, (laughs) and they really are this. Number one, make the effort. And what I mean by this is you might have to do a little bit of learning. I think families of origin almost have their own – well, they do, not almost. They have their own culture, and you will be a foreigner at first, and you'll have to learn the family culture, and I think it's worth it to make that effort. And so just two quick examples, one from my first set of in-laws and one from my current. So in my first set, I literally was a, a foreign outsider because they're a Filipino family. And so I made the effort to ask my then husband what I should be doing so that I would be polite and that I would be culturally appropriate and that I wouldn't risk offending. And actually, props to the Filipino culture because that is one of the most welcoming, hospitable, amazing cultures there is that I've encountered. Incredible. So they were very welcoming of me. I had amazing in laws, unbelievable. But it was worth it to make the effort to kind of learn, especially about even just little nuts and bolts things like I'm a 
what did what did Rachel call it? I am a particular eater. <laughs> she tries to stay away from the word picky, but I'm particular. And so learning how to politely decline food that I knew I wouldn't mm. enjoy and things like that. And then we also worked, I had to work to find out what are the traditions in a wedding because mm. I wanted my wedding to look a certain way, but I wanted that culture to be honored because I was marrying somebody from the Filipino culture. And so we had some Filipino pieces in our reception. And so I think that's an example where I got to make the effort and it really paid off because that was really lovely. And those those people are awesome and they're still so great to my kids and they still ask about me when they see my ex. Like I love it. And then in my new family, so fast forward, now I'm in this new family and what a dynamic because I'm also like the mm-hmm, second mm-hmm. daughter-in-law, right? My husband's been married before. So they're like having to like do this all over again. And do we even trust it? And are they going to get divorced? I mean, I'm sure there's so many feelings that come up for a parent in that. I can't even imagine. And it was worth it to me to make the effort in what I talked about at the top of the episode. And that was to go first when I did step in it. And so it turns out my mother-in-law and I are very similar. We're both very strong personalities. And that is a good thing but it sometimes means that there's going to be some Mm -hmm. colliding. And one time early in our marriage, I got really overly, like overly spicy, I can admit it, about something so silly. Literally, I'm not not joking. It was about how to care for granite countertops. (laughs) No, but I can see how that would be very meaningful to you. (laughs) Yes, I care about cleanliness. And I was spicy, but what happened in that moment is I cared more about being right than about having a good relationship with my in-laws. And that just was the wrong priority. And so later I called them on the phone and I apologized for just being short with my words, but also just even the tone, because I think so much can be said with tone. And that went such a long way. It honestly, it was a turning point for us. It was almost like we got closer because of this thing that could have made us grow quite a bit further apart. So that's wow. all I'm going to say about that because that's a lot. But but making the you effort, it's worth such it, friends. a better daughter-in-law than I am. I mean, like, really. No, no. <laughs> like, so. really. I bet <laughs> my in-laws are probably going to listen to this and be like, oh, if only she was our daughter-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, am, I am the opposite of that. I'm such – I'm – you know me. I'm so fiery and I'm so – impassioned about everything. And I mean, this is kind of what I was talking about with the, they're just not, that's just not what they're used to. <laughs> like the, the like yes, loud, bulldozy Jewish American woman who just like steamrolled <laughs> into the family, hugging everyone and making everyone uncomfortable, you know, without that question of like, what would you like? No, I just like grab people and hug them. And, you know, <laughs> like I just, I feel for them. I really do. Like I, I know they I know they genuinely love me. Like they have always made me feel so truly, truly loved. And but like they must just quietly in the corner be like, Oh my goodness, what happened? What happened to our family? A nice, quiet, respectful family, <laughs> you know. And then this woman barged in. Well, I think this is a good spot to take a break and then we can come back and I can kind of share what that conversation looked like. But Dina, I love, I love those suggestions. I'm sitting here wishing I did more of that. I think if I had, things might have looked different. And so I just appreciate you sharing them with listeners because they are really two actually simple things that you can do to set the tone far better than than I did. (laughs) So, (laughs) So we'll take a quick break and be right back. 
Listeners, I know I got to share with you recently about Vicki Morris and her amazing work as a tutor for students. I did get to use her myself when we were homeschooling our daughter. And I just want to remind you, if you are struggling during this time, if you're dealing with remote school, if you're dealing with homeschooling, or maybe you're a seasoned homeschooler and just want to bring in some support, Vicki is fantastic, not only for allowing you to be that parent role more than the teacher role, but also to be a mentor in your child or children's lives. And in addition to that assistance with homeschool, she also does tutoring, for students who maybe are on either end of the spectrum, if they're really highly capable and not feeling enough challenge, or if there are some struggles that you need to work through, she's amazing for that. She can help with setting up curriculum. She can help set up schedules for not only planning the coursework, but also when to fit in homework and when to meet with her and how to balance all of that. And she also does assessment testing and I know, Kira, you have some experience with that piece. We actually worked with Vicki right at the start of the school year to have the kids assessed because I wanted to know what we actually needed to focus on this year and if there were things that maybe we just didn't need to worry about or things that we really did need to be focusing on and worrying about. And it was amazing because it gave me as the parent a chance to take a breath and go, okay, this is where we need to spend our attention. Over here, we don't need to be as worried. And that was so helpful, even though my kids are in public school online, just to kind of know, you know what, this is the part I want you to focus on, and this other part over here, we can we can maybe look at that with a different lens. So I highly recommend Vicki. It was a really powerful experience for us to have the kids assessed. I, I can't say enough about her. She's kind, she's calm, she's patient, she's funny. The kids absolutely loved her, and she really made the assessment process feel easy. So if you want to reach out to Vicki, she's allowed us to give out her email, so you can just contact her directly. It is Vicki M. Volk, that's V-I-C-K-I-M-V-O-L-K at Comcast.net. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about my wonderful in-laws. I love them so much. And I, I so appreciate that they were even open to having this conversation. I called them and I was like, hey, this is a topic that we're thinking about talking about. I I mean, I guess this was me sort of making that effort to figure out what was going to feel culturally okay to them. Because, you know, the Brits aren't known for being forthright with their dirty laundry and their uh, feelings about things. And I didn't want to put them in a position where I was talking about it because I felt comfortable with it and not sort of know that they were okay with it too. So it's something I have learned over the years <laughs> that sometimes we feel differently about things like this and <laughs> I need to check in with them. So <laughs> I did and and they were really great and, and sort of said it's an extremely important topic and we do need to talk about it and had the attitude of if it can help one family out there have an easier time, then it's completely worth doing. And so I want to share their perspective first because it it was very eye-opening for me to hear their perspective. You know, we're now nine years from when our kids were born and the bulk of our tension happened in the first three or four years. And, you know, one of the things they said that I thought was really profound was that how it felt to be miles and miles away from their grandchildren. And that, you know, when they came to visit, they didn't know everything about the kids the way that we did. And they wanted to. And how hard it was to to not know everything, but to want to help, but to not know how to help because you don't know everything. And I guess I just never thought about that aspect of it, 
Does that make sense? You know, that that they they came, I always knew everything came from a place of really wanting to help, but I hadn't considered how lost they must have felt because they saw our kids two weeks at a time, you know, six to nine to 12 months apart. And I thought that was really an interesting perspective. And, you know, they basically said, hindsight being 2020, that they wished they had just waited for us to ask instead of offering up thoughts or opinions that they came from a beautiful spot. But they said, you know, when we look back on it, we realize that we just should have waited. And if you asked, then we could have offered up our thoughts. But if you didn't ask, that our job was just to love you and support you and and whatever. And, you know, my sister-in-law just had a baby. And so they're getting a chance to kind of do it again. And it sounds like they're really making an effort to do that part differently. But then they also said they're noticing how different it is because my sister-in-law lives in England, that they have more access to my nephew. And so they do know him better and they do kind of, you know, have that insight in a way that they don't with Reese and Rhiannon. And so that was just really profound for me to hear that, A, they kind of recognized where things went sideways on their end, but also for me to kind of have a deeper understanding of why it was going sideways beyond just, you know, they're trying to help. Because I think lots of people are like, I know they're trying to help, but to understand what was really bubbling under that was really important. And then, you know, I think from my perspective, I wish that I had done more of what you suggested. I wish that I had been more sensitive to the fact that the family of origin situation was so different and that, you know, some of the things we do make a lot of British people uncomfortable, (laughs) you know, not just my in-laws, right? Um, The the Mm -hmm. constant talking about feelings. I mean, if you're from a culture where it's considered rude to talk about your feelings, like I can't imagine being in a house where all anybody does (laughs) is let their kids cry and talk about their feelings, you know? So I think, I don't know that I would have parented differently, but I wish I had been a little more sensitive to why that was hard for them and where the pushback was coming from instead of just seeing it as an affront because that's how it felt right? In those moments, it feels like an affront. You're like, I'm working so hard to parent my children in the way that I feel is best for them, right? The stakes have literally never been higher than when you have a kid. And anything anybody does to challenge that makes you feel like you're doing it wrong, like you're failing, you know, like there's, there's, I don't know, it's such a complicated thing. And I wish that I had had the emotional bandwidth to be able to recognize this is not only coming from a place of love, it's also coming from a place of cultural comfort and you know, their family of origin and their and and then my in-laws' families of origin, right? Not just my husband's families of origin, family of origin, but my in-laws' families of origin and how complicated that is. And and I wish I could have been more sensitive to that. I think it would have changed how fierce my response was because I just kept responding like, please don't challenge my parenting was the underlying message, right? It was like, I'm working so hard to be the best parent I can be and I'm going to break if I hear any more criticism. Not that they were critical, but that's how I felt it. And I think if I had been much more aware of what was going on for them, maybe that would have looked different. I don't know if I'm offering any kind of sage wisdom today, but this was just the experience that we had. No, that makes sense to me. <laughs> sage wisdom. I think it's it's kind of hard-won wisdom because you gained it through experience and the experience of not always getting it right is sometimes more powerful actually. I yeah. Think. I mean, the sad thing is, of course, now our kids are nine and that's behind us and we can't do it again. Luckily, I think both sides worked so hard to preserve the relationship and it has been preserved. Like I adore them. I think they adore me <laughs> despite my, you know, <laughs> Jewish, loud American ways. But um you know, I, I ultimately we came out the other side okay, but I I think that you know I think both sides have sadness that it had to look like that, and and we never like there was no it's not like anybody was unkind or rude or anything like that. It was just tension, and when you're a new parent, especially 
that it's hard to hold additional tension. It's really hard. But I will say the thing that worked really well for me and that I employ to this day is sometimes I just say the same thing again. Like, you know, I'm doing what works for me. And and then if it comes up again, like, you know, I'm doing what works for me. And just holding on to that as my own little mantra, as a way of kind of gently closing the discussion. You know, there's been a couple times, and I've said this on episodes before, where I've just said, you know, that's not up for discussion today. And I do think as parents, we have the right to protect and hone our family of origin. And at the end of the day, that's numero uno, right? You are creating your own situation. You're creating the life that you want to be living. You're raising the adults in the way that you want to raise them. It's okay to hold fast to that. I think there are lots of ways in which we can hold fast to that and navigate the differences of opinion in a way that's kind and loving and respectful and compassionate and understanding and empathetic. And that's where I fell down. And I think that's where a lot of people fall down. No, it's perfect because that leads to my second of my three. Oh my gosh, did I just bulldoze um, your what's and hows? Oh, no, no, no. You're fine. I said the first one, which was the making the effort. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. and And you, you provided the segue to number two, which was the I feel that there's something to be said for being firm when needed. And you were just talking about that balance of firm and kind that we talk about so often. And I do think sometimes with with in-laws or with anyone, like we said at the top of the show, this might be a friend or other family member, but there are times where you might have to be firm. And I know we've run into that in our house. I think actually our parents had not the harder time with the blend. I mean, we were obviously in the thick of the blended family, but the harder time of like knowing what to do. How do you how do you handle step grandkids and a second daughter or son-in-law after you've already been through this and been through the pain of watching your child have a broken marriage? And so I almost think in some ways they had a harder task of figuring out how to navigate it and we had to a few times kind of be firm, like, oh, oh, yes, you you will send money to all the kids on their birthdays. You know, you can't just send the check to your bio mm-hmm. grandkids. And I mean, that that was a big one where we had we had to be firm on it. So that's kind of the second thing I would say. I agree with everything you just said. There's so much importance about that intentionality and the kindness. But you're right that there are times where maybe you just need to have your stock phrase that you say again, or you might have to gently bring something up. Hey, I've noticed. This literally happened. This is why it's just an accessible example. But we've noticed you're sending money to, you know, these guys, and we have mm-hmm. five kids, and just just having to to do that is is important. And then the last thing, and then I promise I'll I'll stop, no, and you can you keep, keep going because I just railroaded that- <laughs> right over your what's and how's. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> You're fine. It is, and I, I I submit this to you, FFPs, as something to consider. I don't think it's for everyone, and certainly some families have this relational dynamic where you maybe can do the better communicating with your in-laws. But I think there's something to be said for occasionally understanding and respecting and honoring whatever word you want to put in there, that your partner probably knows this person better. And so my third what and how was I had to be better at letting my spouse lead on some of the presentation, especially of those hard things, where if we had to say something challenging to his parents, or if we had to say something challenging to my parents, then I would deliver that. It's kind of like I've talked about where we parented down biological lines and it took down a lot of the friction. Kind of the same idea for me to go, well, I I understand, but 
I know my parents, so let me deliver that. Or you know what? I get it. You you know your mom best. Why don't you tell her that we've struggled with this issue or whatever? So something to consider. I realize that dynamic doesn't apply to everyone, but I just think there's something to be said for also honoring that like, wow, you really know them in a unique way. That's that's your parent. Yeah. So, and again, that that's applicable only to people who actually have in-laws, but I think it's a worthwhile thing to think about. It has helped so much for me to learn when it is right to just go ahead and take that back seat and let him do the interacting, especially if there is a harder conversation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I love this. If if I'm going to like give one kernel of thought, I guess, because I just talked <laughs> without, much, without much direction. But I think to add to your two, I love that, like make the effort and sometimes you do have to be firm, right? Yeah. I think the piece I would add is to take a really hard look at the family of origin situations. Because I do think that when we can have compassion for each other, we're just better people. All of us are better when we really try and experience somebody else through a lens of empathy. So really looking at your own family of origin, your partner's family of origin, if you have one, and the in-laws' families of origin. What was their childhood like? How were they brought up to think and and view the world and and all of that? And when we can kind of do that, then it takes some of the sting out of what's happening because there's an understanding of, I may not agree with this, I may not like it, but I can actually see where that's coming from or why that's hard for that person. And so I can soften as I am firm on the inside, I can soften because I understand what I'm seeing. So that would be the the thing I would kind of say I got out of my conversation with them and all those years, things I look back on and go, I wish I had softened more and been much more understanding of how many different factors there were playing into this one comment about potty training or this one comment about sleep is not one comment. It's all these other things, right? That's so true. Well, with that said, I I don't have a quote because I also recognize that in-laws are not a universal situation. But those of you who've hung in there, I do hope you've gained some insight. And I'm just going to review the takeaways we did end up with after our meanderings. So make that effort. Lean in. Learn the family culture and that that will pay great dividends. Be firm where you need to be. Keep in mind what Kira said, having maybe a couple stock phrases that you can just use over and over to gently close down the conversation is a great idea. Number three, consider letting your partner lead if there's a conversation that needs to be had because they know those people in relationships. And then what Kira just mentioned, the importance of looking at the family of origin piece and letting that information shine a light on what you might be seeing. And I think it can help us have a little more grace for the situation also. So we really hope this was helpful. We did do some rabbit trailing, but well, you know, it's kind of what I we're known for sometimes. Rabbit. I mean, you don't have to own that. <laughs> Oh, well, you thanks, were very Kira. clear and concise, and I just crowbarred my way in and rabbit trailed all the way <laughs> to the end of the episode. I enjoy watching your trails, though. They're ha- they're happy hikes. They usually do get us somewhere eventually, so that's good. <laughs> we are so thankful for you listening and being with us each week, and we look forward to bringing you new content soon. Just a reminder that next week we are in a a holiday for most of, well, at least for the United States. And so we're going to be bringing you a replay of a popular past episode. It actually was our season finale from season one, and that's an episode on gratitude. So be sure to check that out. And then we'll be back with you with new content on November 30th. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer, produced partially in Kira's laundry room, partially with me up against my throw pillows. Editing by Allison Preisinger. 
Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>